Today, we're studying the Word of God together, and we're in a series called a Bible survey. And what we do in a Bible survey is we go through the books of the Bible, and we talk about, well, what's in them, and when they were written, and how they're all interconnected. And last week, in part three of our series, we did the Gospels, the four Gospels and the book of Acts, and I poured like a ton of information out on you guys. And we've been saying for the last three weeks, don't take notes, don't try to keep up with that, just pay attention, and we'll have enhanced CDs for you out in the lobby every week that's got everything, all the notes, all the maps, everything in a Word doc right on the CD, as well as the uh, audio. So we have those out there for you for the first three weeks. Uh, go on out there and get them right after the service. And um, uh, this week, my goal, or by the way, you can get it all free on the internet, uh, on the website, if you want to do it that way. But my goal this week was for us to pick up and finish the series. And so um, this week, uh, I had planned for us to do all of the letters of the New Testament and the book of Revelation. And so, yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, I know exactly how many pages of notes I can have and stay inside my time limit. It's 11 if you really want to know. But I was already at page 6 on, when I was working on the message this week, and I hadn't even gotten into the book of Romans yet. And I was like, uh-oh, this is not going to work. And so um, I, I said, Lord, this is not going to work. What was I thinking? I must have been out of my mind to think we could do all this in one week. And I really sensed the Holy Spirit saying to me, well, who said you had to do this in four weeks? I didn't tell you that. You, why, why you, so is it, if it, is it okay with you guys if we stretch this out a little bit? Is that all right? Okay. Because I want to do justice to all the letters of the New Testament, and in 15 minutes we can't, in a, we can't do that, okay? So you say, well, how long is this series going to go? I don't know. What difference does it make? We're studying the Bible. You know the Lord may come back. Who knows? But anyway, no, we're, we're gonna, we'll get through it. But let's not, why are we rushing through the letters of the New Testament when they are so important to our faith? Amen? Okay, so... With that okay from you, what we're going to do today is we're actually going to talk a little bit today about the epistles in the New Testament, a little general introduction, and then we're going to cover the book of Romans today. That's as far as we're going to get, all right? Is that, you ready? All right. Now, the epistles of the New Testament. I read a Charlie Brown cartoon a few years ago where Lucy was trying to convince Charlie Brown that an epistle was the wife of an apostle. And now that's not what an epistle is, okay? An epistle simply means a letter. And, and, and I think most of you know that once we get past the four Gospels in the book of Acts, pretty much the rest of the New Testament are the epistles, are made up of these New Testament letters that we're talking about. And when we look at these New Testament letters, 21 of the 27 books in the New Testament are these epistles. 14 were written by the Apostle Paul, 7 by other apostles. And so I think, therefore, it's fair to say that particularly the letters of the Apostle Paul form the spine of the New Testament. Now, we've given you a chart, 
in your bulletin today to help you with what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And uh, if you look on one side, we've broken the letters of the New Testament up into a chart with dates and into some other categories to help you. And on the back side, we've given you a chronology of Paul's life so that you can see how his letters fit into the events of his life. This is a really helpful tool whenever you open a letter in the New Testament like 2 Timothy to go, ooh, okay, where was that written? Where does that fall? Where was Paul in his life? So I hope you'll keep this and use it as part of your Bible study material. And every week that we're on this, it'll be back in our bulletin again. So anyway, uh, let's talk about the letters of the Apostle Paul since we're on that subject. Uh, As you can see from your chart, there are nine of Paul's letters which were written to the churches, most of which he started on one of his missionary journey. And there are five letters that are written to individuals. And you'll also see from your chart that the letters of Paul are not in chronological order in the New Testament. Rather, they're grouped differently. There are two sections of the New Testament letters of Paul. Section number one, which is Romans through 2 Thessalonians, were the letters Paul wrote to the churches, and that's followed by section two, which is 1 Timothy to Hebrews, which are the letters that Paul wrote to the individuals. And there are many ways to study the letters of Paul. We could study them chronologically. We could study them thematically, meaning what are they about? What are their common themes? But you know what? I think the simplest thing for us to do is why don't we just study them in the order that they're in the New Testament? I mean, that's the easiest thing to do. Is that okay with you? We're just going to go right through them, which means today we'll start with the book of Romans, which is the first letter that he wrote. So uh, when we talk about Paul's letters to the churches, which are the first ones, that first section, there are a couple of things that are really important for us to know in general that I want to give you before we dig into the book of Romans. Uh, All of Paul's letters to the churches follow the same basic pattern. That is, in the beginning of the letter, Paul deals with theological issues. Either it's a theological issue or issues that the church is struggling with, or it's just a theological issue that the Apostle Paul wants to expound on for our own personal growth and edification. And then in the second part of each of these church letters, the Apostle Paul deals with a a variety of practical, everyday Christian life truth. And all of the letters follow this very same pattern So when you go to a letter of Paul, you should expect to see, if it's to the churches, theology first, and then practical Christian advice second. You guys got it? Okay. Now, let's turn our attention now to the letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. So, this was written in 56 uh, AD, and it was written while he was on his third missionary journey, And I'm sure almost all of us know where Rome is, but just so we're sure, let's show you a map so you know exactly where Rome is. And uh, when Paul wrote this letter, he had never actually been to Rome. Someone else started the church there. We don't know who, uh, but it was a thriving church. Listen to what Paul says, Romans chapter 1, and I begin at verse 8. 
He says, I thank my God for all of you because your faith is being talked about all over the world. And I long to see you that you and I may be encouraged by each other's faith. Obviously, these guys were doing well spiritually if their faith was going to encourage the Apostle Paul's faith. He goes on to say, in fact, I want you to know that I planned many times to come to you, to come visit, but I've been unable to do so up to this point. Now we skip to the end of the book of Romans where he says, now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, the end of his third missionary journey, because the churches in Greece were pleased to take an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. And so in Acts chapter 21, the Apostle Paul shows up in Jerusalem with this offering, thereby ending his third missionary journey. He goes on to say, and after I have completed this task of delivering the offering to Jerusalem, I plan to go to Spain and to visit you, that is in Rome, on the way. Now if you've read the book of Acts, you know that the Apostle Paul eventually got to Rome. But he did not get there the way he had planned to get there. He got there in chains and got thrown in jail. And it was six years after he wrote these words at the end of the book of Romans saying, I'm coming, I'm on my way, I'll be there real soon. It was six years later before he actually got there. So, let's take a look now, shall we, at the contents of the book of Romans itself. And remember what we've already learned. We should expect to find two halves to this book. We should expect to find a first half that deals with theological items, and we do, chapters 1 to 11. And we should expect to find a second half that deals with practical Christian living, and we do, Romans 12 through 16. So let's launch into the first half of Paul's letter. And in the first half, of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul gives us the most comprehensive explanation of God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ anywhere in the Bible. So, if you're looking to go somewhere and find a complete and thorough treatment of God's plan of salvation, what book do you go to? The book of Romans, that's right. And in that first 11 chapters, Paul answers four very important questions about God's plan of salvation. Number one, why it's necessary. Why do we even need a plan of salvation, huh? Number two, how it works. Number three, what are the results? If I appropriate it for my life, what are the results for me? And finally, number four, is anyone exempt from needing it? So we're going to answer these four questions, and every verse is coming right out of the book of Romans. We don't need any other verses, because that's what the whole book of Romans is about. Comprende? See? Okay, here we go. Ready? Number one, why is God's plan of salvation necessary? Well, Paul says, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man... Sin entered the world, and death through sin. Who's the one man? Adam, right, in the garden. So, Paul says, death passed on to all men and women because in Adam all men and women sinned. What Paul is telling us here is that by his disobedience to God in the garden, 
Adam polluted the entire human race so that every descendant of his is born with a sin nature and we prove it by the time we're two. Right? Yes. Okay. Now, Romans 5.18 continues through this one trespass that Adam committed, condemnation resulted for all men. Paul's telling us here that both because of our sinful nature and because of our sinful actions, we are all under the judgment of a holy God, the condemnation of a holy God, and this is why we need a plan of salvation. Simple? Yes. Now, number two, the Apostle Paul goes on to tell us how this plan of salvation that God created for us works. And you know, if you go up to almost anybody on the street and you say, okay, so tell me, in your opinion, how do people get into heaven? How do people get eternal life? How do people get right in the sight of God? What you will hear is human activity, human effort, and human works. Well, you got to go to church. Well, you got to get baptized. Well, you got to get confirmed. Well, you got to get bar mitzvahed. Well, you got to be a nice person. Well, you got to try to keep Ten Commandments. Well, you got to recycle. Whatever it might be, it's all human works. And you know the same thing's true with all the religions of the world. Go to any religion of the world and ask them how you get into whatever it is they call heaven. And it's human works. Whether it's praying the Mecca five times a day. Whether it's going to synagogue and being bar mitzvahed. Whether it's like going out in the woods and sitting cross-legged and going um, um, all day long. Whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's human effort, human activity, religious works. You with me? The Bible says that's not right. The Bible says that's not how we do it. That's not how God's plan of salvation works at all. Listen to what Paul says. Romans 3.21. But now, a way to be right in God's sight, say the next four words, apart from human works. Say it again. Apart from human works. Do you see that? Now, a way to be right with God, apart from human works, has been made available to us through faith in Jesus Christ, in God's mercy. It's free, this way to get right with God. It's free through the redemption that's found in Jesus Christ, whom God made an atoning sacrifice for us. Where did Jesus become an atoning sacrifice for you and me? On the cross. That's exactly right. And how do we access this free, merciful, atoning, wonderful redemption? Well, look what Paul says in Romans 3, verse 25. He says, we do that. We access it. We appropriate it by faith in, by relying on, by trusting in His, Jesus' blood shed on the cross, to pay for our sins, instead of trusting in our own human effort, our own human works, our own human activity, our own religious deeds. Everybody got it? Yeah? Okay, listen. Verse 20, for by human works shall, next two words, no one. You see that? Shall no one 
become right in God's sight. And this is what Titus chapter 3 says. It says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. I don't care what they are, but by His mercy. And where was that mercy of God expressed? Where was it? On the cross, by His mercy, God saved us. And so this is what the Bible is telling us, that human effort is nice. There's nothing wrong with being good. There's nothing wrong with trying to keep the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with recycling. There's nothing wrong with sitting in the woods and going, um, um. But none of that's getting anybody any closer to heaven because God doesn't accept human works as the way to get to heaven. He only accepts the atoning sacrifice of Christ on our behalf and we appropriate that work of Christ on the cross by taking our trust off of every human activity we've ever trusted to get into heaven and placing our full trust, our full reliance on Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross plus nothing. Not plus the rosary, not plus being bar mitzvahed, not plus anything. You with me? Okay. That's so critical that we understand that. Now, let's say we do that. Third, Paul answers the question, well, what are the results of accepting God's plan of salvation? Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, having been justified, dikaiao is the Greek word, having been declared right in God's sight, having been declared, acquitted, having been pronounced righteous in God's sight. This is what this word means. It's a courtroom word. It's like the judge bangs the gavel and says, acquitted, not guilty, charges dismissed, having been declared righteous in God's sight by faith. Look what we have. Not only do we have that, which is great, but we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, Christ, we have been given, say the next three words, access to God, and by whom, Christ, we stand in this what? New, gracious position with God. You say, I don't know, Lon, that's a long verse, and to me it sounds like, what, what, what is that I'm talking about? Well, it's not that complex. Look at it. Let me explain it to you. Paul simply says that when we give our life to Christ, we get three great things in addition to getting to go to heaven. Number one, we get peace with God. Now, don't misunderstand. This is different than the peace of God. See, the peace of God, Philippians chapter 4, is when we take all of our burdens and all of our problems and we give them all to the Lord Jesus and in place of that he takes our burdens and he gives us experientially the peace of God in our heart that says I got it I got it you don't have to worry about it I'm here I got this under control this is not what we're talking about here this is not the peace of God this is peace with God meaning God buries the hatchet meaning we and God sign a peace treaty, meaning we and God smoke the peace pipe. You understand what I'm saying? There's no more condemnation between us and God. There's no more going to hell. The war is over. 
We're not enemies anymore. You ever, everybody understand that? We get peace with God. Number two, we get, the, oh, Paul says, we get access to God. There's no more separation between us and God. No more alienation between us and God. We have direct access to God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a pastor. We don't have to go through anybody. It's us directly accessing God. And this is what Romans 5.10 says. We have now been reconciled to God through the death of His Son. You remember how when you first came to Christ and all of a sudden God just seemed to come alive in your life? I mean, it was like somebody flicked on a light switch and God was everywhere and and it's like you could talk to Him and He was alive. Well, what happened? Well, you got access to God you didn't have before because you came to Christ. And finally, number three, what do we get? We get a new gracious position with God. We are now His adopted children in the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, don't kid yourself that there is no um, sense in which the whole world has this position. Look what the Bible says. It says when we come to Christ, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out to God, Abba, Father. Meaning, we're now in a close personal relationship with God that we didn't have before. And He now is happy to be called our personal Father. He's adopted us through Christ into His family. Romans 8.16, For the Spirit of God Himself bears witness with our spirit that we have become what? The children of God. Don't you kid yourself and think that the whole world everybody in the world is a child of God. I know they tell you that on television. It just ain't so. To the contrary, every human being in the world is one of God's creatures. Yes. But you and I only become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way he adopts people into his family. And this is why John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but To as many people as received him, that is the Lord Jesus, to them, and I might add, to them alone, God gave the right to become the children of God. So you have a new position with God. You're his child now. How cool is that? And because he's your father, you can call him Abba, which in Hebrew just means daddy. And because we're his child, It means that he cares about the details of our life in a way that he doesn't care about everybody else's details. I mean, God bless you. I'm sure your children are sweet. But I don't care about the things in their life as much as I do the things in my own children's life. Do you? If you say yes, you're not telling the truth. I mean, it's just that simple. We all care about our own children the most, right? Can we just be blunt and honest? Yes, we do. We try to be nice to other people's children, It's a challenge sometimes, but we try to be nice to their children. But it's our children that we will go to the mat for, right? Well, God's the same way, friends. And when you join his family, you become one of those people God goes to the mat for. You understand? Yeah, praise the Lord for that, huh? Amen. So, that's what we get, along with a lot of other things. But Paul goes on to answer one more question, and that is, is anyone exempt 
from needing God's plan of salvation. Now, lots of people will tell you they are. Jewish people will tell you they got a separate arrangement with God that hell is a Gentile problem. You know, that's what my rabbi told me when I was growing up. Hell is a Gentile problem. We, we, we're all going to heaven. I said, really? That's great. I said, whether you come to synagogue or not? He said, yeah. So that's pretty much the last time I showed up. <laughs> I mean, why go if you don't need to go? Yeah? Yeah. So, but he's, he's wrong. That's not right. And other people will tell you we're all going to heaven. Everybody's going to heaven. We don't need Jesus Christ. We got our own way to do. What does the Bible say? Look what Paul said. Romans 3, 9. We have already made the case, he says, that Jews and Gentiles alike are, what's the next word? All under sin. Romans 3.23, for there is no difference for who? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And one more, I could give you others, but Romans 11.32, for God has concluded all men under disobedience so that he may be able to offer mercy to all. Do you understand what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying if there was a way you could get to heaven that you didn't need God's plan of salvation, that means you don't need God's mercy. And that means there would be people in heaven who got there in some other way besides God's mercy. And God says, oh no, every single person in heaven, they're going to be able to say they got here one way and one way only, and that's my mercy. And that's why I conclude them all under sin, because they really are, but I do that so I can offer mercy to all and the people who get to heaven or the people who take it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, Titus 3, 5, but by His mercy He saved us. Do you understand? If you're in heaven, you're going to be there for one reason and one reason only. God offered you mercy because you and I needed it, and you were smart enough to take it. That's why you're there. So, Paul's answered everything we need to know. The bottom line about does anybody not need this plan of salvation is it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're Buddhist or Muslim, whether you're a butcher or baker or a candlestick maker. It doesn't make a bit of difference. God says we all need God's plan of salvation to avoid His eternal condemnation and to escape hell and there's just period, period, exclamation point on this. That's just the way it is. So, folks, this is the fastest summary of the theological portion of the book of Romans you will ever find in your whole life. Y'all followed me though, right? You stayed with me? All right, we did? Good, you got it? Okay, now in the second half of the book of Romans that we find a cornucopia of Christian life truth that the Apostle Paul talks to us about. Everything from absolute surrender to Christ, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to humility, Romans 12, 3, to not returning evil for evil, the end of the book of Romans uh, chapter 12, to um, personal holiness, Romans chapter 13, to accepting other people the way they are, Romans chapter 14, and on and on. And I urge you, to get into the second halves of all of these letters of Paul 
because if you go through the second half of every one of Paul's letters, there will not be one area of Christian living that you and I have not been properly instructed in in the ends of his letters. Okay, now, that's as far as we're going to go in the letter to the Romans, but we have a really important question to ask, don't we? Yes, we do. And, and so, um, I know you guys are loud because sometimes I can actually even hear you over Tyson's from Prince William. But, but we're going to prove it today, right? Okay, so all you guys at Tyson's and all you guys at Bethesda and all you guys at Loudon and all you guys in the Edge and all you guys around the world on the internet, I want you to see if you can do it as loud as Prince William is about ready to do it. Here we go. One, two, three. Oh, that was sweet. Way to go. All right. Now, you say, Lon, so what? Well, friends, look, I don't know how you can miss the so what of the book of Romans. It seems pretty clear to me. The so what of the book of Romans is that every single person here Every single person listening to my voice, every single person on the face of the globe needs the plan of salvation in Christ that God mercifully created for us. I mean, doesn't that seem like a pretty clear so what to you? And in light of that, let's just, to make sure we got it, review very quickly the four cogent points Paul made in chapters 1 to 11 about the plan of salvation. Here we go. Point number one is that we're all sinners in the sight of a holy God, for all of us have sinned, Romans 3.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. Point number two that he made is that this puts us on a collision course with God's eternal condemnation for the wages of sin is death, eternal death, death in hell for all of eternity. Don't let anybody tell you that's not where people outside of Christ are going. That is exactly where they are going, the Bible says. Number three, cogent point number three, is that God has created a free way out for us through what Jesus did for us on the cross. For the wages of sin is death, but, what a great word, huh? That word is worth your soul. That word, but, but, the free gift of God, look at this, is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, I thank God for that but, don't you? What a, I mean, I I better stop here because, you know, there's a little bit of different meaning, but that's a, that's an important but, right? With one T. Okay, now, point four is this, that we access this free way out by faith in, by relying on, by trusting in Jesus' blood shed on the cross to be our atoning sacrifice for sin plus nothing. So how do you activate this? Well, friends, same way I did 44 years ago. We transfer our trust off of everything that we've been relying on up to this point to get us into heaven and onto the work of Christ on the cross alone. And you know, I met somebody after the first service and this uh, lady said to me, she said, well, I'm trying to get there. She said, I'm just having trouble with trust. 
And I said, well, ma'am, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't want mean to be offensive, but you know you're already trusting something to get you into heaven. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, if I ask you how you're planning to get into heaven, what do you, you'd tell me something, right? You'd tell me you're keeping the Ten Commandments or you're trying to be a nice person or, or you know, you're, you're working hard to come to church. You're, you're trusting something already, right? She said, I guess I am. I said, well, then all I'm telling you is that salvation is about getting that trust and putting it at the right place. That's all it's about. Instead of having it at the wrong place, which is where most people have it, getting it to the right place, meaning that it's on Christ and not on what we do. Everybody with me? If you're sitting here today and you believe there's a heaven, you're trusting something to get you there. Sorry, you may not have thought about it, but you are. All I'm telling you is if it's not Jesus, his work on the cross, and his blood covering, whatever you're trusting is wrong. It won't work, and it's going to land you in hell. You say, Lon, be straight with me. All right. It won't work, and it'll land you in hell. That's what I'm here to tell you. But if you transfer it to trust in Christ, it won't land you there. It'll land you into being God's child with access to God and peace with God and declared not guilty before God. And the day you leave this earth, the next breath you take will be on the shores of heaven with Christ, praise God. And it's all about just putting your trust at the right place. Okay, so my question to you as we close is have you done that? And if you haven't, are you willing to? Because we're going to give you the chance right now. Let's bow our heads. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, here's all we're going to do is I'm going to lead us in a very short prayer. You're going to pray silently. I'm going to pray out loud one phrase at a time. And we're just going to simply transfer your trust off of whatever it is now and onto the blood of Christ and the atoning sacrifice he made for you and me on the cross. So here we go. You pray silently. I'll pray out loud. Lord Jesus... I come to you today to access the plan of salvation that you made for me in Christ. And today, I renounce every other remedy that I've ever trusted to get me into heaven and earn me eternal life. And I transfer that trust onto Jesus Christ and His shed blood and His atoning work on the cross for me, plus nothing. Come into my heart today, forgive me for my sins, pronounce me justified in your sight, make me a child of God, and give me a new life in Christ while I'm awaiting heaven. Honor the transfer of trust I did today, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.